Welcome to the DNVGL Talks Energy podcast series. Electrification, rise of renewables and new technologies supported by more data and IT systems are transforming the power system. Join us each week as we discuss these changes with guests from around the industry. Welcome to a new episode of DNVGL Talks Energy, here recorded on the Global Smart Energy Summit in Dubai. My guest this morning is Dr. Martin Keller, the Director of National Renewable Energy Laboratory, ENVEL, in Golden, Colorado, USA. Uh, we want to talk about the impact of low-cost solar and low-cost storage on the energy or world's energy infrastructure. Good morning, Martin. Good morning. Thanks for having me today. Martin, before we dive into that topic, it would be great if you could introduce yourself as well what NREL is doing. Yeah. So again, what to say, my name is Martin Keller. I'm the director of the National Renewable Energy Laboratory in Golden, Colorado. We are Department of Energy uh, National Laboratory. Our focus is renewable energy or advanced energy technologies, which goes all the way from wind, solar, geothermal, bio, a lot of energy storage, grid integration, transportation, and buildings. So we cover a broad spectrum of advanced energy technologies in all different forms. Right. Let's dive into this topic. Uh, we see there's a lot of talks about storage. Maybe we come later also uh, to the discussion that there's very different types of storage for different appliances. But nevertheless, it becomes a bit of a mass business uh, due to players in the market like uh, IKEA or Tesla, uh, electric cars uh, picking up more and more in numbers. What do you think, uh, how does that change the dynamics of the energy storage market? Yeah. Let me let me go one step b before that because look, I think we're living in a very exciting times. What you're seeing, how this whole field is changing, especially I would say the last five years. Obviously, we almost have logarithmic growth of deployment of renewables from wind to solar specifically, and this now triggers this that when you look at the the impact what these new technologies bring to the energy market, it's now at such a low cost that this is in, in many areas of the world the cheapest way to create electricity. Mm. So now the second follow-on to this is how do you store some of this electricity? As you know, I mean, it's always very simple. At night there is no sun, so you do not produce uh, electricity with solar, or there's times where the wind doesn't blow. So mm. the, the point is how can you bridge some of this, this times where we do not have these renewables uh, present, and that's why storage is getting more and more popular. And now what you're seeing also in not only in the energy generation areas, but also now in storage, that the cost of storage is dropping so rapidly that suddenly the combination of storage and renewable energy is getting very, very interesting. Mm -hmm. So what we see and what we also predict in our own energy transition outlook is that uh, renewables will uh, have the biggest share in electricity generation at some point in time. That obviously also has a direct impact on energy infrastructure. Yeah. How it looks today will probably not be the way how it looks tomorrow. What do you foresee there? What is required uh, for the energy infrastructure to adapt, to take in so much renewables and then uh, obviously yeah. also storage? So when we built the grid many, many, many years ago, I mean it was 
designed, you know, that you have a couple of large facilities who produce electricity and then you have a line to your customers and then just using it. Mm -hmm. And now this whole model is completely changing. It, it, it gets up to, to his head. So now suddenly your customers will have more choices. They can pick, well, I want to have more solar, I have more wind. Uh, a lot of customers now have solar panels on the rooftops. So suddenly they're becoming, becoming small producers for themselves. Mm -hmm. So this is the whole grid infrastructure is in a huge transition. And so we, we're predicting that the whole system, what we're doing right now, will go into this change. The grid will go bi-directional and we will have much more influence how we're managing our grid. Because with the intermittency of renewables, we also have find new ways to regulate the grid. So this is, for example, where electric cars come into play. So what if you charge your cars when there's enough electricity on the grid and then if, if you need to, to bridge because of a, a cloud coming over solar panels, for example, then can you use this where you suddenly have an electric car which then gives to the grid. So, but th again, this requires a completely new design of our infrastructure. Yeah, so actually uh, you mentioned an interesting aspect uh, that energy is used or maybe given back to the grid at points where um, there these re exchanges are required. But one question which comes with this is how is that incentivized? So I guess I have uh, two questions uh, with regards to this. Maybe we focus on the first one first, the regulatory frameworks which are required to uh, make the industry these changes happening. Uh, and then we can later talk about uh, the price point, uh, what needs to be done there. So what would you think uh, to kind of incentivize utilities um, or cities or whatever to move into that new realities. What needs to happen on the regulatory front? The regulatory front is also an interesting topic again because that's that's just built. We're, look historically, why did we do all these regulatory uh, uh, bodies? Because we just didn't want to have a monopoly who then has all the saying on the cost, and suddenly you can increase the cost to the consumers in a way which was not sustainable. That's why we developed a lot of these regulatory bodies who control or regulate the, the cost of energy. Now this is all changing because suddenly consumers have more choices. I mean they again have solar panels on their own rooftops. So suddenly the way we're regulating these bodies will also very much change in the future in my opinion. How it's changing this is interesting. Uh, it's not completely clear how this new uh, power utility regulations will happen. But at the end, it's very simple. See, how do, you how do you put more emphasis on this? It's very simple. The cons consumer can save money, then you have the, the most incentives for doing this. So what do you mean with this? So mm -hmm. for example, if you give your utilities the opportunity to uh, influence when you uh, heat up your water in, in, your, in your big uh, vessel, which you know, heats the water. So suddenly, if you can uh, use this as a control mechanism so that you say, uh, well, after, let's say in the morning you took your shower. Mm. It doesn't matter if your water heater is hot again at 10 or 11 or 12 uh, because we had to work anyway. So suddenly if you give your utility the opportunity to play with the time where they heat up your water, suddenly if you make it cheap enough that people say, oh, I will take this because I save on the electricity. So suddenly for me, the big drive of all this is savings to the consumer. And if you create uh, vehicles that the utility have more flexibility in, in using, when you use electricity in your house, this has to be coupled to incentives back to the consumer, means you're getting a cheaper rate. Right. I mean, energy prices is uh, the next topic I wanted to come to and, uh, um, and discuss that. So we could foresee a future where the kilowatt hour 
is very cheap or maybe even for free. Now you mentioned a little bit earlier uh, this intelligent interactions in the grid that can happen when a consumer needs power, he gets, if he doesn't, he can maybe give something back to the grid. So there need to be incentive schemes for this, as you also just said. But um, would you foresee a future, or would you think it's possible that there is a future where we don't pay for the kilowatt hour anymore, but rather for not consuming energy, or we get money back for this, or we pay a premium for yeah. the availability of energy, that we more get maybe into something like an, a flat rate, what we know from the internet for the service of having access to energy. Yeah. Look, some people predict that electricity might be too cheap to meter. So mm -hmm. this goes down in the, the, the path you mentioned. Look, the interesting perspective is what we really don't understand. How would the consumer react to this? Suddenly, look, look at your cell phone. Oh, this is the best example. Remember the, the time where we bought minutes to do a phone call mm. and now you just have a, a flat plan. We never look at your minutes. So now the question is, are you using your phone more or less? So, because some people would predict, well, if you have a flat rate, you might not have an incentive to put a, a new uh, energy saving uh, appliance in your house or you might just turn off the lights anymore. Mm -hmm. Other people say, well, if, if, you, if you build all this from a social perspective, it will not change the use of electricity. It's not clear where this would go because if there's no incentives, then well, are we saving energy or are we just wasting energy? So mm -hmm. nobody knows. But I personally predict that we're going down this path where you're having a flat rate at your house. And I think then you probably have some, some certain amount of, of energy you might be able to use per month. And then if you go above this or below this, mm. and then th if you go below, you get some money back. If you go above this, then uh, you remember the old times when you use too much data, it slows down the internet. You could imagine that something like this would happen in the electricity field. So it's a very interesting, fascinating topic, but it's not clear where we will go, in my opinion. So uh, talking about cheap electricity, there is another impact uh, around investments into renewable energy projects. What we hear from investors is because the kilowatt hour has become so cheap now due to auctions or low feed-in tariffs. There's also pressure on the finance, so the yield rates are not interesting enough anymore for equity investors. And so they are sitting on billions of US dollars they would like to invest, but they don't find the projects mm -hmm. to invest into. What do you foresee what these dynamics do to investments in renewables? Is that giving us a gridlock situation where we stop development because of this, or what is your view on that? So it goes down to, to a, a much larger uh, perspective in my view, and, and this has to do with um, uh, are there any other ways where we could use electricity? So I would say right now, you earn, if you're uh, electricity producer, you only have one outlet, and this is to put electrons into the grid. And this suddenly is uh, causing a lot of these this problems because you know, you're trying to build this utility, solar and wind uh, activities, uh, even natural gas, you're going lower, lower and lower, and suddenly your profit margins are shrinking more and more. And this is re resulting into the problem what you just mentioned, that a lot of investors might say, well, I don't even know if I want to invest into this because my return is so low. It's, it's a huge commodity, and well, it is the world's largest commodity, and it, you're going down this path. So, but what if you would create a system where you take electrons to something else? So what if you can uh, make a decision that you put it onto the grid or you deflect electrons and you go and, for example, and create hydrocarbons out of this, which comes into this program, what we call, uh, or Germany also calls this uh, power to X. Mm -hmm. 
and we call it uh, electrons to carbon-carbon molecules. So the idea is, can you use and deflect electrons and create something else? So suddenly, in the market, what you create is that you have an outlet. You can put it onto the grid, or you can go and produce chemicals, for example. And suddenly, I see that the investors will look into a much broader combination of, of this big um, factories which uh, have more uh, opportunities than just to produce electricity. That's research. There's a lot of innovation we have to do right now. Um, a lot of people thinking to go down this path, to go through hydrogen into hydrocarbons or fertilizer, or so we call this a platform molecule. But we still need more innovation, more research to decrease the cost and make this cost competitive. Yeah, well, it's an interesting topic. We hear that also a lot, actually, uh, in the regions where we have a lot of islands uh, who kind of see that as a way of importing maybe uh, renewables without having uh, the generation itself. Um, another interesting aspect, uh, I think what, what you just mentioned was somehow maybe to integrating the systems more and we could do that also in the industrial space. One example I have in mind, and we briefly talked about this, uh, this earlier this morning, is this gigafactory from, from Tesla where they have internalized more or less uh, the renewable energy production uh, for the use in their own factory. Now, what do you think about this kind of model uh, being a bit more usual setup for industries, for utilities? Is that a future we could go to, which then automatically would also give us more sizable uh, projects to, to put money on? Yeah, I mean, the, what Tesla done with the Gigafactory was uh, an interesting move. I mean, not only to produce uh, batteries at much lower cost. And look, batteries is a very good example. When you look at the, the decrease in cost for lithium batteries over the last five years is, is uh, amazing. And we see this trend continue. So now the interesting thing is, well, the, right now when you see where Tesla goes down into the, into the battery storage for home usage, same architecture, I personally am not exactly sure if we will use the same architecture on batteries for our uh, storage at, at home. So in individual homes, it could be very similar, but for large-scale grid storage, I think we might have different architecture. I'm not even clear if this will be batteries. It might be a combination of chemical storage or battery storage or even more pumped hydro. It's not clear where we're going with this right now, but having this gigafactory concept. I mean, look, we have done this over years. Look, this is what a car manufacturer does. Mm -hmm. They're integrating the whole supply chain together and taking all these different parts and then assemble the, the, the cars in, in very large factories. Uh, so I think we will do this more and more also in the energy sector. Uh, Martin, we are slowly coming, unfortunately, already to the end of this uh, episode. But uh, since we are here on the Global Smart Energy Summit in Dubai, uh, looking at the region, uh, what do you see are the opportunities we have around this topic, uh, cheap solar PV, cheap storage, the integration of this, or the matters we just discussed? Uh, what opportunities do we have for this region uh, in, th in these matters? I mean, th that's a very interesting region here, because when, when you look where they're located, I mean, they have uh, a lot of resources based on, on the oil and gas they have in this region, but they also have a lot of land, so they have a lot of sun and in some areas they have wind. So they have a lot of different ways of tapping into, into energy. So I personally do not believe that this region will, will move away from oil and gas within a pretty significant time period. And we always will use 
uh, hydrocarbons for still a long time to go, especially in the transportation sector for airplanes, for heavy-duty trucks, for ships. We need long hydrocarbons. The en energy density is, is very amazing, and so I don't know how easy it will be to replace these molecules with something else. So, but then also you're seeing in this region a diversification of the energy sector. And I think it's very smart because when they suddenly create the energy here on site, then they don't have to burn their own oil they're taking mm. out of the ground. And with this, they can start to export this. They get more revenue by, by using the oil uh, or exporting the oil versus using it there in their own place to, for example, desalinate water. So it's a very smart move. You're seeing the lowest cost in, in solar project here in this region. So I think that this region diversifies the energy portfolio is, in my opinion, a tremendous opportunity and it's, it's very smart. Yep. Thank you very much for these insights, Martin. Um, we are unfortunately at the end, so thanks for your time this yeah. morning. Thank you for the very valuable insights. And thank you also to the listeners uh, listening, um, to Dr. Martin Keller, Director of the National Renewable Energy Laboratory, NREL, in Golden, Colorado, USA, um, about the impact of cheap solar and cheap storage on the world's energy infrastructure. Thank you for listening to this DNVGL Talks Energy podcast. To hear more podcasts in the series, please visit dnvgl.com slash talksenergy.